Hey everybody, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. I hope everyone's having a fantastic 2020 where everything will be revealed to us because hindsight and all that stuff. Um, how is everybody? We good? I'm good. So I made a uh, post on our Facebook group, the Church and Other Drugs Congregation, which you can join uh, by joining Patreon, patreon.com slash church and other drugs. Um, so I'll probably be talking about this because I always do, uh, in the future, but I started back on, on meds. So I'm taking 20 milligrams of Prozac. This is day seven. I'm feeling okay. Um, things were just getting, I don't even want to say dark, but just, I don't know, hard to increasingly more difficult to manage. And I mean, y'all have all been doing this with me or been listening to it, um, to my, my, my journey. This really is just kind of like a, an audio vlog, a vlog is not an audio, whatever, an audio journal of my mental health exploits, escapades. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. This is one of those things I wish, I wish that God answered me directly and maybe he is maybe he talks through other people uh i i just i've been wanting a firm answer on like do i need to take medication or not do i just like what do i need to do i need you to tell me what to do and i i just wasn't it's not something i've been getting a firm answer on but things in in my experience things seem to line up the way they're supposed to so things lined up the way they did and that that's where I'm at I'm on day seven um things are all right I'm, I'm not gonna say that I'll, I'll be on it forever but that that's that's where I'm at today I guess you know the program tells me to take it one day at a time and today you know I'm on meds again so yeah um on that note I got to I've been talking to my friend Tierney, Tierney Edwards, um, who has also had her struggles with um, suicide attempts and depression and bipolar and recently had a psych hospital escapade. And so we've been like messaging and she like recently got out of the hospital and now she's uh, in IOP intensive outpatient and um, so I wanted to hear her story because it was very, well, I guess, you know, things like this are kind of synchronistic or serendipitous or maybe they help me know I'm I'm on the right track or whatever but I was like hey we're kind of going through this similar thing so let's let's hear your story so um, I'm very pleased that she came on and it's a crazy story uh no pun intended but um yeah so send me an email church and other drugs at gmail.com if you want to join the patreon that's patreon.com slash church and other drugs uh, merch stores, storefrontier.com slash church and other drugs. Um, some upcoming episodes. We've got Nate Henry from Sherwood and Don't Feed the Trolls. And Josh Raji is, why did I sound like I pronounced that weird? Josh Raji is coming on to talk about his new book. So.
So, Tierney, how's it going? It's good. It's Sunday, so it's good. I'm going to a recovery. I'm actually going to two recovery meetings after this, so I'm actually pretty excited. Which uh, which meetings are you going to? I'm going to Suicide Anonymous and Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, known as ACA. Oh, yeah. How is that? Um, it's really good. It actually fits me much better than Suicide Anonymous. Um, I only go to Suicide Anonymous, like, in the same way that, like, drugs is, like, somebody's drug of choice. Like, suicide's kind of my method of choice, um, as far as, like, coping with stuff. Um, and it's also, like, right before ACA. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like... (laughs) Yeah, there's no reason not to go. Well, um, where do you live? Because like you, you're you must be super fortunate that yeah th- those meetings actually exist there. Yeah, I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and I actually think that Suicide Anonymous is only here, and then like in some small city in Wisconsin. I, I think that those are like the only two places where it's at, and then ACA. Like it's all it's actually all at a church which is pretty cool. They have like anonymous meetings all Sunday, um, whether it's NA, they do Alcon or, or Alconon, um, NA, SA, ACA. So they do all the recovery meetings at this one church. Oh, wow. Sundays. What so, kind of, is the, is the church itself like recovery oriented or it just no. so happens to be at that church? It just so happens to be at that church. I think it's something that they're passionate about. Um, it's called Hope Presbyterian, if there's any area people listening. Um, and they just have a really good recovery support type of, I hate to say, ministry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it fits. They do. Yeah, so that, it sounds like that's just what they do and what they do well. Well, so let's let's get into, let's uh, we'll hit the rewind and let's let's to where it all begins. So I've been well. I wanted to get you on because I've been. So we've been like I don't know what this is. I love we live in such a weird time. So we've been like internet friends for a couple years now. Um, yes. And then I've been kind of watching and interacting with you recently over, I guess your struggles like coming to a head and you got hospitalized. And right. being trapped in the psych hospital, which I was like, oh, yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so I kind of wanted to get you on to kind of to just tell the story of, like, what, what happened and what went on and what's going on with you currently. Um, so, well, I, yeah. No, me, yeah, go ahead. Sure. So it was around the second week in October. Um, I started going through what I now know is, like, a depressive episode, like, the very beginning stages of it. And I've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder before, um, back in 2015 is when I was first officially diagnosed with it. And so it's been something that I've known about and something that I've kind of dealt with for the last five years. Um, so I knew that that was starting to happen and then it started getting worse quicker than it's ever has, has before. So what I mean by that is the suicidal thoughts, the suicidal urges. Um, I started doing things like writing a will. Mm. Um, I started 
cleaning my apartment, like organizing, preparing for somebody to have to come and like clean out all my stuff and like just those different end of life type things. I started getting really obsessed with um, death. Like I remember there was somebody at work who actually passed away and I found myself looking at different funeral websites and learning about everything that goes into planning a funeral and what your loved ones have to do and also thinking about what, what do I want for my own funeral? So different end of life things that oh, no yeah. 28 year old should ever think about. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And, and so that's when I knew like, I, I gotta get some help and I had to get treatment. So what I did was, which is probably the most proactive thing I probably ever could have done was I found a therapist and I found a psychiatrist and I immediately started medication. So what, what's been happening is I was misdiagnosed. Whenever I would go and get help, it would be in the middle of a depressive episode. So it looked like I had just depression or it looked like I had just panic disorder or it looked like I had obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Those are three that I've been diagnosed with. And the reality of it is I'm actually bipolar. And so which because two bipolar two. So which if you're not familiar with that, and any depressive episode looks like just depression because I'm at the super, super low. But when I'm high, people think I'm just productive, Mm -hmm. outgoing, (laughs) bubbly, all those different things that people like. Making making gospel records. Making gospel records. (laughs) Um, So it's it's just all those different things that people really value in other people, but it's all in one person. You know, Mm -hmm. you might see somebody who might be outgoing, bubbly, assertive, but imagine having all those qualities in one person at Mm -hmm. the same time. And that's what my manic looks like for me. Um, so nobody had ever seen me like that. So everybody thought that I was just depressed. So what was happening is I'd get on these antidepressants and I'd get manic for a couple days and then it would be like I was falling off of a cliff and the only way to actually land would be to kill myself. And what medications did you try? Sure. So back in 2015, I took Wellbutrin and Effexor Mm -hmm. and I was on super high doses of both of those. And it made me not suicidal anymore, but looking back, I was just manic for seven months. Sure. And so we tried those again, but we tried them separately. And so I tried Wellbutrin first and that's when I got super manic and then I fell. And then I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then I tried Effexor by itself. And that was the one where I had to go to the hospital. Um, they say Effexor is like the worst drug ever. Like, coming off of it is the clinical equivalent of coming off of heroin. And so when I got hospitalized, <laughs> I hadn't taken my Effexor in a day. And then I was starting to come off of it. So I was, like, I was extra crazy. Oh, yeah. Like, it's awful. I was on um, Pristique, which is like an isomer of effexor so it's like the same thing just like to get around patents or whatever right yeah that was one of the hardest ones i've ever had to get off it's yeah it was rough yeah it makes like i was crying the whole time my anger was through the roof and like it was it was just terrible so what happened the first time on wellbutrin was my my anxiety and my panic just got way worse like i remember 
having to leave work a couple times because I was just having extreme panic and having to go home. One of those times I was actually able to get into um, a session with my therapist, which was good. Um, and then later on that week, it was a Friday and I just remember like, I'm a loan officer. So I talk to people for a living and I remember being on the phone and somebody, I, I can't even tell you what they were talking about. It was literally going in one ear and not the other. And all I could think about was how much I wanted to kill myself. Mm. And I was just sitting there and I was just like, you know what? Once this guy is done doing whatever, I'm going to leave. I'm going to clock out. I'm going to go home and I'm going to kill myself. And it was the most natural feeling I'd ever had at that moment. Like it, like nothing else made perfect sense. And I just remember just clocking out, getting up, leaving. And I remember seeing things on my way home. Like this is the last time I'm going to see this light. This is the last time I'm going to see this set of apartments across the street from mine. This is the last time I'm going to see my front door. And I just remember walking in. I didn't even take my shoes off. I just walked to my bedroom and locked the door. And I just remember I felt kind of satisfied, but I also felt super hopeless at mm. the and kind of relieved, I, but like, yeah, but like, this is the end. Like, this yeah. is it. This is it. And this is kind of a bummer that this is it. And did you have I, a plan? Yeah, I, I got a bunch of, um, narcotics a couple months ago from a friend and I was planning on ODing mm -hmm. and, um, I had a lot of it. <laughs> and I actually, when I started my outpatient, I did end up flushing it, which was like, super cool and i just remember thinking i could hear like the pills like hitting the porcelain i was like there is a crackhead turning in their grave right oh, now Oh yeah dude Even, yeah. <laughs> i'm five years sober and i'm like oh, i mean you could uh did you have to get rid of them like... i know i know i know and i was just like i could just hear it i was like there are just so many people who are just like what are you doing um but but no, it was like one of the best feelings ever. But going back to that, I just remember hearing this like voice in my head, just like, what if you were to try and what does that look like? And I called maybe 30 places, whether what it was if, hospital. What if, what if you were to try like living, you mean? So, yeah, you're, so like, you're, you're in your room, you've, you've shut the door, you're right. getting ready to do it. And you hear this voice says, what if you were to try living? Right. And when you say like, and I don't, you know, I don't know how much you can remember, but when you say like heard a voice, was it like distinct from your voice or it's just like an intuition type thing? I'm always interested like when people a, say that. Yeah. Um, I think it was more of an intuition, like a, um, like I, not to get like too spiritual, but I felt like it was my soul. You yeah. know, I mean, why not I... get spiritual? We're talking about life and death here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's is, true. This that's is fair. usually where spiritual things happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's really funny. Yeah. So I feel I felt like it was my soul, like really trying to just be like, what if we tried? What if like what would it look like if we tried everything we could today? And then if we can't do it, then we just can't do it. And so I just I called like 30 different places. It was a combination of hospitals. It was, um, it was a combination of 
offices, like doctor's offices. And I kept running into hospitals who wouldn't help me unless they admitted me. And I was like, there's no way. (laughs) Isn't this, this is the, this is the, God, this is the, the whole thing about when it's like, okay, I'm finally going to get help. And then you try to get help. Yeah. It's hard as hell. It's really hard as hell. Well, yeah, I'm not even too like the fucked up part yet. Uh, this is like the easiest part of the whole of my whole ordeal with with like the last couple months. So I'm calling all these places. I'm crying hysterically in between. Like I just remember just breaking down. Uh, like and I've and I've never I felt that like a couple moments in my life. But I just remember just just breaking down, just being like, I have to kill myself. Like yeah, I can't man. get help. I like I can't get rid of how I feel. Like it was this burden of being like, shit, like I have to kill myself and it's not easy and <laughs> it's a difficult decision, but I feel like I have to do it. Yeah. And I th- yes, I think that, that right there is like what non, I guess what, I don't even know what we'll call it. Non depressives like don't could never really understand. Cause it's like, yeah, I totally, it's that it's this weird overriding feeling that it's like no it's it's not even like an option it's and it's not you know oh you have so much to live for and you have so many people that care about you it's like you're not you don't understand if you could feel what this what and who knows i i I definitely believe in spiritual warfare type stuff i also definitely believe in mental illness and i think it's probably just like a foothold it's like an extra you know what I'm saying, but it really does seem like in those moments, it there really is some kind of fight going on. Oh yeah, that you're just almost like an observer too. It's like you don't have oh, much yeah. say in it. Oh yeah, and that's that's so perfect because there are several times in between the weeks leading up to hospitalization where I had taken like a little bit of morphine or taken some Tylenol PM and just been, and just like passed out before I could actually do anything. Oh wow. And that's been like, I remember one night in particular. So you, so you had gotten morphine to do it. Yeah. Good. So, and and I, cause I was like, (laughs) so you, this is, and I hope everyone understands that like my gallows humor is because I understand it, but it's like, yeah, I, I was like, cause I was going to say, I hope you weren't thinking you could just take some Vicodin and do the trick, but oh, like, no, 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 so you know what no. you're talking about. Yeah. 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 I had a whole plan. Yeah. I had okay. a, I had a fuck ton of morphine and I think it's called delude and audit. Yeah. See, I don't, this shows you how much I don't know about drugs. I don't know the, the names. I just know if I take all of it, I was going right, to die. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I had, I was taken and then even in those moments, like, and this is how I knew if I took all of it, I would die. I react very sensitively mm-hmm. to drugs. Like even when I was in the hospital, they put me on Klonopin and it knocked me out. Like I yeah. was done. Yeah. And when I would take the morphine, I could only take like half of a tablet and like be, and I couldn't even function. I think it was like 0.35 or something. Yeah. And I had maybe 40 of them. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. okay. it was, so I was like, I know if I take all this, I'm definitely going to die. So I, but, but I did have those moments where like, I, it was one Sunday. I almost, I couldn't sleep. I took some Tylenol PM, still couldn't sleep. And I was to the point where I almost got up and like wrote a suicide note mm. and I just passed out and yeah. I woke up wow. and I was, holy shit. Like, yeah, yeah. 
was it was weird. But on that particular day, going back to when I left work, um, kind of the same thing happened. I think I cried myself to sleep and just exhausted myself because I woke up just on my bed a couple hours later, and thankfully things weren't as intense as they were before I went to sleep, and I immediately stopped taking <laughs> the Wellbutrin, <laughs> and yeah. I let my doctor know, and I got on, and that's when I got on Effexor. Um, so then I took Effexor for like maybe two weeks before the same thing happened, and this time it was just different. It was, I have been doing all these different things and I felt like my body was almost preparing to die because mm. I was cleaning, organizing. Um, it was kind of funny one night where my, my best friend, Mary Beth, I texted her and it was like 11 o'clock and I was like, Hey, I did a will. I left you my record collection. <laughs> and oh, she was like, those are the texts that people <laughs> don't want to get, dude. I've gotten oh. those. I've sent those. God, I re- Yes, dude. I, yes, I've so many. <laughs> and it's I'm, just funny because, like, we're, we're we were so like, I was in such a depressive state that I did not know how not normal that text sounded. Totally. And it's a and fucked was, up thing to do to somebody, dude. I know. Because like, she was like, "Hey, are you okay?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, no, it's cool." And I was like, "I updated my discogs too, so now you can see exactly." What what's there and I just like I just wasn't thinking and I was like and it hit me because I think she wasn't trying to freak out and she wasn't trying and I texted her I was like I'm sorry I didn't realize how bad that sounded yeah I'm not gonna kill myself tonight I'm just <laughs> tonight was, yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah yeah the funny thing was I was like technically this isn't my fault I was targeted by ads on Instagram and that that's what made me start thinking about it, because I guess I'd been, and this is, like, so fucked up, I was Googling different drugs, like, antidepressants and the side effects, yep. and I think that that triggered, like, something in the algorithm with Instagram and their ads, and they started targeting me for wills. And I was like, the internet knows I'm depressed. <laughs> Is, yeah, my my targeted ads are hilarious because that, that's that's like what I do because my job and just like my hobby free time is just research antidepressants and drugs. So it's nothing but like vitamins and supplements and, and antidepressant ads and right, right. So it was I was like, this isn't my fault. I was targeted. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. That'd be, <laughs> but, that'd be an interesting uh, lawsuit <laughs> like, right? to try to sue Instagram for like wrong wrongful death. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was just kind of funny. I was like, the internet knows I want to die and they're here to help. Like, it, it was weird. And, and so I was, so it was like really funny after that. Cause I even told my therapist the next day and he, he never laughs at my jokes and he thought that that was funny. And I was like, okay, so that's some suicide humor there. Um, but leading up to the hospitalization, I was on the effects like in this time I felt like I was just pushed off the cliff and excuse me. And like, I was just like falling. I was just falling and I couldn't stop falling. And it was, it was a Monday night and I was actually texted like the suicide hotline. Mm -hmm. Just, I was, I mean, I remember looking around, my place was so clean. It was so peaceful. Like, if there ever was a place to die, it would have been my apartment at that time. And I just remember 
texting them, and I mean, I can look back and see what all we talked about, but it it was just super helpful because they they got me to text MB, and she like literally saved my life that night. And who was it, that? Beth. Okay. And he, um, they got me. They're like, can, is there like a friend who you can text? And she, uh, she was just really great. And she ended up texting a therapist who her and I both know who like had, like she had his information and things like that in case something like this happened. And I talked to my therapist for, for a little bit and I kind of made a decision there. If I'm not better in the morning, then I got to go to the hospital Mm -hmm. and have to go and try to get some type of medicine management because this can't keep happening and I also need to be on something and so that's kind of what began my hospitalization part there Mm -hmm. so did you have any questions about that time frame well a background question has anybody in your family ever committed suicide yeah my uncle Ah, on my mom's side committed suicide which it's funny that you asked that because going through this has me real curious my cousin on my mom's side we've been diagnosed with the exact same disorders Mm. bipolar 2 major depressive and panic disorder and it's i don't want to say it's bizarre because it's science (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it kind of blows my mind because you're already you already feel like you're all alone anyways when you're going through a lot of this stuff, but it's like you literally have a relative who has the exact same stuff as you. Yeah. And so not only are you not alone, but it's literally hereditary yeah. and it's not your fault. And so is it that, so, and yeah. I, I wonder with you and I don't know if it is, is there, so in my, it's kind of more with the older generation, but in, in like my counseling experience, I've noticed there's like with like African-American older generational thing it's kind of the same for old southern where mental health stuff is like a moral thing and especially things oh, yeah. like suicide it's like they'll never never even admit it is that like like yeah. have you had any family assistance or are they kind of just like you just need to, yeah. to pray more or? i didn't even tell my family i went into the hospital i i'm grateful that i have really good friends yeah. But it wasn't something because I knew they wouldn't understand. I knew they'd probably make fun of me for it. And it just wasn't something that I wanted to deal with because my real dad is actually bipolar. And mm-hmm. he wasn't diagnosed until I had moved out in my 20s. So I lived my entire life with somebody who has bipolar 1. And if you've ever lived with somebody who hasn't been treated for it but has it, you know that they're a monster. Oh, yeah. Like, they they yeah. can I mean, not to stigmatize it, but their behavior can be monstrous. And it's, and that contributes to a lot of the trauma that I have from growing up. And so it's like, it's definitely hard to deal with. And it was something that I was afraid of for so long because it's like, I used to think that, well, if I'm bipolar, then I'm just like my dad and I'm capable of all the same things that he's capable of. But now I've kind of realized that at least I know, yeah. and I have so much more freedom now knowing exactly what it is. Totally. And in the simple fact that I'm getting treatment for it, and I'm also working on other parts that are contributing to my mental illness, 
I'm nothing like my dad. Yeah. Especially cause... when he was untreated. Yeah, because it's manageable. I mean, it's it's completely manageable if you, you know, treat. I guess treatable is the better. Yeah. The better term. But yeah, no, nah, that's, I'm sure that's, that's a whole, a whole mess of, of fear and anxiety. And then, yeah, I can't, I always sympathize with those that don't have as much family support because I can't imagine how hard that is. Yeah. You know, but it, it, you do, luckily, you've been blessed with like awesome, awesome friends who are, you know, equally as as important so it's good you had that yeah absolutely and my um my adoptive family was super supportive as well throughout everything and I was telling my mom I was like it's kind of comical to me that I'm just now realizing all these different uh things that other people have had to deal with (laughs) who have known me like being moody like some days being up some days being down it's always just felt normal to me and with other people, I know it's sometimes I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with Tierney? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. she was just fine. And I'm like, yeah, I know I was just fine. Now I'm not. Like, Now I'm not. Well, Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And it's funny. I was telling my friend, I was like, you know, this whole time people thought I was just mean. And I'm just bipolar. And everybody owes me an apology. Yeah. So, <laughs> but not not really. But no, it's good I, I know to what you mean, that some of my behavior is like, I can understand it now because it's like, I know it was frustrating for other people, but it's like, I had to live with it. And so it was super frustrating for me too. And I think the biggest gift you can get in this life is Mm self-awareness. Like for sure. I think that's the most value. One of the most valuable things you can have. And it's really, yeah. And it's, it's so weird. Even thinking, it's so weird looking in hindsight at your behaviors, especially once you get a real good objective look at it. And it's it's like watching a, a whole separate person. And you're like, how did I not see that? <laughs> right. Like, how did I not see that? But you just you just don't. I don't know. You just don't. Right. Yeah. No, you're you're definitely spot on with that. And now it's kind of cool because I can even look at things that I used to do. And now I totally think completely differently even over the last couple of weeks with being on the right medication, it's made a world of difference in everything that I do and everything that I feel. So it's definitely been super, super cool just being on new medication. Like everything's new. Everything's right. Like I can hear birds chirping. And like I was telling people when I went back to work, I was like, I don't care what happens. I'm medicated now. Like (laughs) bring it on, (laughs) you know? Well, yeah. So let's, so let's get to the hospital then. Yeah, so um, I have a really good friend who I've known for like half my life, Clay, and I texted him, and I was just like, hey, what are you doing? And he told me, and he, the the type of person that he is, is, I'm telling this just to explain the type of person that he is, I I told him like, you know, things aren't so great, I was going to see if um, you could go to Lakeside, which is the name of the hospital with me. And before I could even type, but if you're busy, I he was just like, I'll be right there. Yeah. And he owns his own business, like, just came off a tour, like, busy dude. And he completely dropped everything to come get me and take me there. And he went through the whole process with me. He had to turn in his phone and his belt and <laughs> any metal stuff. If you've never 
gone through this process, like even if going in with somebody, it's very, the way I describe it is it's almost criminal. Yeah. Dehumanizing. Yes. Dehumanizing. They take away everything and they put you in a room that locks from the outside and unlocks from the outside and you can't change the channel. You can't control the temperature. You, if you want to go to the bathroom, you have to press a button and talk to a camera who will buzz you into the bathroom. Um, you, you just are, once you're in there, you're in there. Yep. And there's, there's literally no turning back once you walk through those doors. Did you see that Angelina Jolie movie changeling? I think it was Mm -mm. where you should, it might give you like PTSD flashbacks, (laughs) but it was like how back in the day, um, a common thing for like men to do was if they like got a girl pregnant or something or, or if like a woman did something they didn't like, they would just say they're crazy and get them institutionalized. Yeah. And then it just becomes that whole, and it's just basically like her fight of it's, it's like all the doctors had her convinced that like she didn't have a kid or whatever, but she knew she did. So eventually she just had to like say like, Oh, you're right. I don't have a kid. Cause yeah. it's like, you're in this place that is making you they're like, Oh, so how are you feeling today? Like I'm fucking stressed. Like, Oh, I guess you need to be here. It's like, yep. no, you don't understand. I'm yep. stressed because I'm here. Right. No, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. it's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that would probably give me PTSD because it was like, I, like every time I would talk to somebody on the outside, as we would have to call it, they would say, yeah, you're making really rational points. And then I talk to somebody on the inside. They're like, you know that you need to be here. And I'm just like, I, the non crazy people are on the outside and they think I sound pretty good. So yeah, I don't, it, yeah it's definitely about once you're, once you walk through those doors from that point, you have to prove your own sanity to get out. And that's something that they just don't tell you. So after the whole process, like they, I think they saw what type of job I have and that I had insurance because they took all that stuff first before uh-huh. they asked me what was going to happen. So once they took all that stuff, it was like, it was a wrap. I was yeah. going to be there. And they, and I was honest. I told them I had a plan. I told them, you know, I, and kind of looking back, stupidly, I was honest. I told them I didn't have anything to live for. I told them that I had a plan. I told them I've been feeling this way. I told them that medicine wasn't working. All these huge red flags that <laughs> to them says, oh, this person needs to be locked up and yeah. needs to be here for a while. And I wasn't thinking. I was like, I'm just being honest about the state of my life. And um, so, yeah. And they tried to sell me on it first. And they were like, well, the unit that we want to send you to is for working professionals. There's doctors, lawyers there. It's our most privileged unit that we have here. And <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. Right, right. It sounds like club club bed, right? So, yep. it's, and I was just like, no, um, I still, no, I, I just came here for, for medicine management. Because um, even like, I even called beforehand. They're like, well, we'll just see like when you get here. And I was like, okay, like. She didn't sound too scared or anything, which she's trained to not do that. Um, and even when I filled out my intake form, it's like, well, why are you here today? And it gives you a whole list of options. And I chose everything except for inpatient. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, for me, it was really confusing when he came back and was like, so we're going to recommend that you do this. And I was like, no. 
And he was like, so if you don't sign yourself in, then we're going to have an independent state auditor come and they're going to evaluate you before we can legally allow you to leave. And he told me based off of what I told him, there was no way I was going to get to leave. So I could either sign myself in or I can get committed and I lose all my rights. Um, And then I don't get to go to the privilege unit if, if that happens. And so I just remember like that being like the hardest thing, like, and Clay was right there. And that moment was harder than them asking me about sexual assault and having to talk about that in front of Clay, like just trauma and having to talk about that. It was hearing that you're staying here no matter what, it's all a matter in how you choose to come. And so I've signed myself in, <laughs> had to. No, that's when, if you already know you're going in, that's when you just start <laughs> flying yeah. off the handle. Like, oh, I'm going yeah. to earn my, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, it was. You're going to give me that butt shot if I'm going to stay. I, I got one of those. Yeah. So, oh, man. Um, but yeah, not that's then. devastating. Yeah, I, yeah, so it was, and I, like, started crying, and Clay was like, hey. And it was kind of funny. He was like, do you want me to read over that sheet uh, so, like, at least one of us who has a clear head has read over it? (laughs) 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 But he said it just, like, so nicely, and it was like, and and that was kind of like my, it was. Kind of snapped you back. Yeah, I was like, I think people might have a point. (laughs) Because, like, because Clay is, like, the nicest sweetest dude ever and he said it he said it so respectfully too i'm sure i'm like making it sound worse than how he actually said it but when he said that i was like i think like if if clay can tell something's wrong and he's willing to say hey like let me at least read over that like that was a huge sign to me like you you have to do something and so going through the process like they, t- they take they take your watch, they take your phone, took my backpack, and then you go through, like, the strip search, which I did not know that that, that happens, where they, they took my bra and didn't even have underwire in it, but they take your bra, they take your shoelaces. Um, it's super dehumanizing. And I remember, I remember being so mad that the nurse who was in there, she had to have been, like, 66 years old. And I was pissed because they took my bra and she was like, well, do you want like a shirt to put? And I was cut her off and I said, do not say another fucking word to me. <laughs> Poor <laughs> nurse. <laughs> She's just I was, doing her job. I know. But I know. I've dude. Yeah. I was yeah. so mad. I was, I was so mad. And then I had to walk over to the privilege unit with like no shoelaces, no bra. I'm in a hoodie and poor Clay, like, before I sent him out, I made a list of all my stuff, like, that I needed because I was like, well, I'm about to be camped out here for a couple yeah. of days. And I tried as, as best as I could um, to, like, tell him where everything was. And I get over to the unit, and I'm just, like, I'm just done. Like, mm-hmm. I've never done anything like this before. Like, to me, it was devastating because my big thing is control. I mm-hmm. I alone. I have a job. I have a career, and all that was just taken away from me indefinitely. And 
it was it was awful. Like I couldn't even have my my credit card to go buy a drink out of the drink machine. You know what I mean? Like it's it's little stuff like that that you just totally take for granted. Like different freedoms of being able to do what you want, eat what you want, sleep when you want, like wear what you want. Like all that was just gone. Mm-hmm. It it was incredibly devastating. And I was also I was coming off of a Fexer. I cried the entire way there. I cried all the way through vitals. I went to my room and just cried. I didn't eat. It was incredibly devastating just being there. Um, so that first night, Clay went back to my place. And um, it was kind of funny because they brought me my stuff. And I opened the bag. And there's just dress pants in there. <laughs> so... <laughs> Poor Clay. At least he's going to look good up in right? there. Right? <laughs> well, the first part was he brought me, like, dress pants and, and like, a, a co- cocktail dress. And, yeah. Uh... <laughs> so I'm like, I can't be the super pissed off person in the mental hospital wearing Crocs and dress pants and a hoodie. And sure they you can. Even... It'd just be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't even, like, normal dress pants. They were, like, teal and, like, gray. Oh, that's awesome. Colors. And so... It was like, I just opened the bag and I start crying even more because I'm like, I have to wear dress pants. And so, um, so that was like the funny, the super, super funny part. And like, I called my adoptive parents and I was just like, this is awful. This is terrible. I hate this. Like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't. Like, they took my bra. Like, I was just done. And... So I finally, like, I, I get so mad at the nurse, like, I and I remember, like, I slammed the door. I can't even remember why I slammed it. They they said something that pissed me off, and I walked back to my room, and I slammed the door. And she, like, comes in, and she's like, we do not slam doors on this unit. And then, like, just walks off. And I was just like... She'd be like, maybe you don't, but I do, bitch. <laughs> right, right, right. And I was just like, I'm in a place where I can't slam a door. Okay, that's stupid. But it was like, I was just so mad. And and my thing was, and this is what I kept telling them. I was like, you guys put people in abnormal situations and expect them to act normal. And when they don't, you treat them like a criminal. And that's not okay. Like, if I was on the outside and I slammed a door in my apartment, that's just me getting out anger. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't struck anyone. I haven't hurt myself. All I did was slam a door Mm -hmm. like that's And so they just, they're, I I just really hate the hospitals. They, it's, it's like, there's nothing normal there. There's no way to normally express yourself or like do things that are considered normal on the outside. Like, would you call the cops if somebody slammed a door across the hall? Right. And, and so it was, it was just nuts. And I, so that, so that next day when I woke up, I still hadn't gotten the contents out of my backpack, which were like books. Um, and I had some cash in there and they wouldn't let me call my job because the phone number was in my phone. And so I was having a full-blown meltdown. By this time, I hadn't taken any meds in like a day. And I was freaking out about work. And I was freaking out that because they they lost my backpack for a couple hours. 
they said like the night before that they, they actually gave it to clay i talked to clay he didn't have it they called them back they said okay we're going to bring it over around eight they never brought it over and so at that point they had lost it so i'm standing at the front desk and i'm crying belligerent tears snot can't understand what i'm saying and at this point 30 people wearing santa hats with a guy playing guitar walk through the doors <laughs> singing christmas carols oh that's funny i'm like are you fucking kidding me so as if i'm not as if my demeanor alone doesn't say i'm having a terrible time nurses are tapping me on the shoulder saying, do you want to put on a Santa hat? And I, like, I turn to them and I'm like, no. And they're like, okay, jingle bells, jingle bells. Like, they, <laughs> as if like, I'm not having the worst moment of my life. And this goes on for like five minutes and people keep asking me if I want to put on a hat. And I was just like, why are you guys doing this here? Like, this is a mental hospital. Like, yeah. like this is like some sick, sick joke. And like, what, what if a man in a Santa hat tortured me when I was a child? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, what if I was raped by Santa Claus? You should have, you <laughs> should have done that. You should have. <laughs> rape is not funny, but it's like. I know, I know. Yeah, but like, of course it's not. But that's, that's exactly right. It's like, dude, come but, on. People but, could have some very uh, triggering memories tied to. And then like, that's not even the worst part. It was like December the 3rd. So it wasn't even actually <laughs> Christmas time yet. <laughs> Jeez, it, man. It's just like it was like se- season's greetings from hell. It was it was awful. Yeah. It was terrible. And everybody who I told that story to tried not to laugh hysterically in my face. And I was just like, this was the like imagine your worst mental health moment and thirty people walk in singing Christmas carols. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so that was like the <laughs> it was the absolute worst. And I like started having to go to group. I wasn't eating just because, and I was, I was just so upset. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't eating. I didn't have, like they sent stuff back with clay. Like they wouldn't let me have my shampoo and conditioner. Cause I get it custom made and it didn't have ingredients on it. And, um, and then of course I had like the pants issue. So luckily clay was able to bring me some stuff that evening during visitation and I got the shower and stuff, and I felt a little bit better. I just still just couldn't eat. Like, the food there is terrible. If you've ever had hospital food, imagine, like, mental hospital food. <laughs> like, it is, it's awful. Like, nothing is real. You might get, like, a real piece of meat every couple days. But everything yeah. else is processed. And I just, like, I just couldn't do anything. And I was going to groups. I wasn't really talking. They were getting mad at me because I wasn't really talking because I was upset. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know any other way to communicate this. Like, you guys are not doing what you said that you're supposed to do. You want me to calm down. And I can't calm down because I'm so out of my element. Like, this is my nightmare. And you guys want me to chill out. And it's impossible. And I was also coming off of the meds. I was starting on new ones. And so that whole process was just kind of, it was just hard. Mm-hmm. It was difficult. It felt like, it felt like a nine day panic attack is the best way I can describe it. Um, I'll fast forward to 
when I asked for a new doctor. So that weekend, um, cause you don't see a doctor every day. You'll see mm-hmm. them if that they work and then you might see like their nurse practitioner. And that weekend I saw the nurse practitioner for my doctor and she told me that I should try a Bible study to help mm-hmm. with my symptoms of depression and, and anxiety and I should forgive my real parents and I would have a happier life. And I was just like, okay. Which like on their own, sure, true statements. In that moment, probably not going to help, lady. <laughs> right, right. I'm in a mental hospital. Like, I need more than a Bible study. And, and, and you know what? And if I only need a Bible study, let me leave, okay? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you should have been like, okay, I forgive them. Can I go yeah. now? <laughs> Seriously, seriously. So she was, and I was like, please don't ask me what I think. Please don't ask me what I think. And she's like, so what do you think about all that? And I was like, well, and I was just pissed off. I was like, well, I don't think the Bible's real, so that's not going to be a good option. And I think things are more complicated than just forgiving my parents. And she was like, well, you know, I didn't mean it like that. And I was like, okay, like, can I, and then I was like, so can I have something for my anxiety? <laughs> like, can I? Can you prescribe me a pill, please? Like, I, that, that, was, that was my whole reasoning for asking th- that question. And, um, and so the, the next time I saw the doctor, I had plans to ask for a new one. And I filed a grievance to mm-hmm. get a new doctor. And um, that, that Monday, I saw him. And he had previously, like, he cut me off the last time I saw him when I was trying to talk. And I didn't like that. And then on Monday, I told him what his nurse practitioner said, and he laughed, and he thought it was funny. And that's when I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm not working with this person anymore. And so they went through the process of getting me a new doctor, and they got me this dude named Dr. White, which if you're ever at Lakeside and you get Dr. White, you're screwed. And... (laughs) And so I, um, I actually liked him. I actually liked him a lot. He answered my questions. He talked to me about ECT, which didn't sound as scary at the time. And he actually entertained the fact that I might be bipolar. And he changed some of my meds. Um, so I thought it was a good fit. And that was the day that they had me. The day before, I was on Klonopin. And they gave me one in the morning. And I was completely done. And then they gave me one at night with, with trazodone, which is another sleeping med, and I could barely walk back to my room. I literally had somebody to help me walk back. And so I was hopped up on that. I had three med changes, and that was a Tuesday, and I fell asleep at like 7.30, which I never do. And so they, I slept through nighttime meds, and they put down that I refused the meds, even though I was literally just asleep. And then the next day, I was just so tired. I was, I just like, I couldn't go to breakfast, didn't get up for vitals, and didn't get to take my meds just because I needed more time to sleep. And that's when the doctor came in and was like, So what's going on? I was like, Honestly, I'm just really tired and I'm just really ready to go home. And he's like, Well, since you're not taking your meds and you're not going to group and you're not eating, I'm going to commit you and I'm moving you over to West. And he said it just like that. And I was like, well, 
that's not going to fucking happen. He's like, well, I'm not asking you. And just walks out. So that started the, the tyranny hysterical train. And I just, like, I was just calling everybody I possibly could. It was so early. It was like eight or nine something. I'm calling our friend Liz. I called Mary Beth. I called Clay. I called my parents. I'm, and I think my mom was in a final, and I think my dad was teaching a class at, at the moment because he's a professor. And I'm calling as many people as I possibly can. And Liz was like, you just have to do what they're asking you to do. Just go and try to do what they're asking you to do and see if that helps. So I go try to take my meds. They won't give me my meds because they're being moved. And I just start freaking out. They're like, All right, well, are you packed up? Are you ready to go? I'm like, I'm not going anywhere until I talk to somebody. Because this isn't right. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm literally just tired. You have people who sleep in all the time here. And they're not being moved. They're not being committed. I haven't done anything wrong. And I even filed a grievance at that point too. Because you can't threaten to commit me. Because I'm tired. And so I start the tears. The therapist comes out. And she's like, I just found out about this. This all happened before I got here. And at this point, I'm just like, you told me to trust you. You told me to do all these things and to go through the process and to go to the groups. And I'm, I've done all this stuff. And now I'm being committed. And now all this is happening because of one day of me being tired. And <laughs> that's when I just got pissed. And I told this lady to eat my ass. I told a lot of people. To- <laughs> um, I, just, I just got really mad. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, this is fucked up. Like, this is, this is the opposite of what is supposed to be happening to me right now. And yeah. I just got pissed. And I said a lot of fuck yous, a lot of eat my ass. And, that, and it felt good because I hated that lady. She was terrible. <laughs> and I could see her offense when I said, you know what? Fuck you, Michelle. You can eat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. That was just, it was just great. And then, um, <laughs> then I went to my room and I slammed my door again. And that's when I hear code yellow, the landing, code yellow, the landing. And then, like, next I know there's 30 people in the hallway ready to cart me off. And, like, this lady comes in, and she's just trying to talk to me. And I, and I tell her, and I'm like, you would be upset, too. I am having a totally normal reaction to, to something that is totally unfair. I'm like, you can ask any of the nurses. My roommate saw where the nurse came in, saw that I was sleeping, and did not bother to wake me up and put down that I refused my meds. So that's not what happened. And she was like, well, how about you just try to come with me? We'll go over to West, and then we can all talk about it there. And I said, okay, fine. So I got up peacefully, had my hands in my pocket, walking down the hallway, and they're like, hey, can you come talk to I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I was told we're going to leave, so are we leaving? Are we going to go? What's happening? And so I walk down to the door, <laughs> and there's this lady walking in, and they're, like, yelling at her, like, no, 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 like, don't come in. <laughs> and she's like, what? And I'm just standing there, like, non-threatening, and, she, and of course she, she doesn't think that anything's wrong because nothing's wrong. They're making it, like, a bigger deal than it actually is. And she's like, oh, I'll just come back then. I was like, okay. So this one nurse is telling me, she's like, we need you to calm down. Your anxiety is making us nervous. And I was like, my anxiety in a mental hospital is making you nervous. 
And she's like, yes, yes, it is. I'm like, that's stupid. Like, (laughs) that's not very smart. Um, And I was like, and she basically wanted me to stop pacing. So I did. I just stood there. And another nurse comes over and she's like, ask me what's wrong. And I tell her. And she was like, well, um, we're going to give you, we want you to take your meds. So we're going to give you a shot. I said, a shot is not on my meds. I don't consent to that. That's not something I want to take. I'm willing to take my other meds, but I'm not going to take a shot because there's I don't need one and I don't consent to it. And she's like, well, if the doctor's already committed you, we're going to go off the doctor's orders and we're just going to give you a shot anyway. So mm-hmm. as she says those final last words, she starts fading out and the big strong dudes start fading in. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I literally like, I didn't even, I didn't swing on anybody. I literally held my arms up against my chest. And I said, like, in the most Martin Luther King voice ever, please stop touching me. (laughs) (laughs) Please stop touching me. Please stop touching me. And they literally held me down as hard as they could up against the wall while they gave me a shot in the ass. And it was six of them. And it was like, I just couldn't believe that that even happened. And people were like, so what was it like to get the shot? I'm like, nothing. I wasn't having a psychosis episode. I was just tired and pissed off. Like, yeah. I was having very normal human emotions. And at point, they moved me over to a different unit than they were trying to take me to, which is like their real psychosis unit. Like the genders are even completely separated because mm-hmm. some sexual assaulters. Where you do not want to go. Yep, like, there's literal, like, paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah. Just actual, like, serious mental health cases. And um, and so when I got over there, I told a bunch more people to fuck you, eat my ass, whole nine yards. (laughs) And I saw some of the nurses who worked on the unit I came from, and they were like, what are you doing here? And I was like, there was a misunderstanding (laughs) over on the landing. And it was just, it was awful. Like, they tried to put me in a room with somebody who hadn't showered in, like, a week. And there were people who were falling out on the floors. They don't have the phones turned on. Like, where I came from, I could use the phone anytime. I could call anybody whenever I needed to call someone. They had a cordless phone for you to use, even. And over there, the phones are on maybe three hours a day, top. And... You can't use the, like, you can't ask to use the phones. There's no private restrooms. The facilities are kind of run down. There's not really any places to sit. Like, you're not communicating with people who are on your level. And it was just, like, a really, it was really bad. <laughs> it was yep. it was awful. Um, and then that first day, I remember, like, talking to Clay. And he, I was talking to him at a time when, they were about to rough up this dude because he was just going off. And Clay was like, I hear that, and that's bullshit, and we're going to get you out of there. Like, it sounded like a horror movie. Like, anything that you've ever seen on TV about how bad mental hospitals could be, that was mm-hmm. that. And it was, it was just terrible. And so later on that evening, I have an evaluation that I did not know I was going to have. And it was because he, he had ordered the commitment but I hadn't actually been committed yet. So if you remember what the nurse said, she said I had already been committed, and that's why they were administering that shot. 
that hadn't already been committed yet. And so that's like a whole other thing. But she like interviewed me and she's talking to me. And at the time I'm like super, I'm talking to her like how I'm talking now. I'm very sane, very rational, very calm. And she's like, so how did this morning happen? What happened? And I told her and I was like, he's saying that I'm not going to groups, but I know that when you guys come in and do groups, you have a sheet for every single person and you mark on there. If I came, if I stayed and participated and if I was talking to other people during it, and you can go and look through my file and you'll see a sheet from every group over the last five days where I've gone and participated and done everything that's asked of me. I was just tired this morning and she didn't say anything and she just went through and she's like, yeah, you are going to a majority of your groups. And she was like, I have no reasonable reason to actually go through the commitment. And I was like, I know <laughs> I need to be committed. And so that felt good. That felt really good, and I just, at that point, it was just like, I have to get out of here. And so the next day, I talked to the doctor, and he wasn't willing to move me back to that other unit, and he also would not let me go home. And so I did an AMA, which means against medical advice, and yep. I, the doctor said the exact same thing. He, he was talking to me, and he was like, you sound so learned. Where, where did you go to school? And I told him, and he just couldn't believe I was there. And I was just like, I know I'm a very smart and intelligent person. I just needed a little bit of help and I'm not getting it. And the way that I told him, I was like, I just don't think this is a good fit for me. I have plans to get treatment after I leave. I just think that too much has happened. I don't think that I'm in the best place to get the type of treatment that I need. And I appreciate everything that you guys have done for me so far of what exactly is going on. That's been super helpful. But I think as far as long-term treatment, I think that I would do better on the outside of a different facility. Yeah. And he totally bought it. And of course the whole time I'm like, yeah, no, I don't have any suicidal thoughts. I'm feeling great. Yeah. Like it's cool. And I had to do like what you were saying. Angelina Jolie had to do in that movie, yeah. which was literally lie through my teeth. Oh, and I try had to do it every time. Yeah. I've, like, I've been committed three different times. So oh my god! Yeah. How long each time? Uh, one of them, the longest was for thirty days. Oh and my that god! Was because I really screwed up there, um, and and I was like, yeah, I've been to. I was like, yeah, I've had like six. Oh, this is like, I had a, a psychosis from LSD and shooting up cocaine, and so I, they checked me in and. They're like, what's your treatment history? And I'm like, I mean, I've like overdosed six times. I've been, I was being a little like thinking I'm being a little badass. And I was like, yeah. I've been rehab like seven. And they're like, and then when I, when I got done interviewing, they're like, okay, well, we recommend you here for at least 30. And I was like, do what now? And they're yep. like, oh yeah. Like, no, you're, I was like, oh fuck. Yep. And dude, that one, like my roommate, the first night there tried to get me to suck his dick. Like that was an awful Oh my god! Awful. I was Hopefully like, so this is happen. how this is how this is gonna go down. I was yep. like, this is the worst thing ever. Oh yeah, um, those places are way worse for men. I've heard similar stories where somebody there they were also on the same unit that they sent me to, and pe there's like three to a room. It's like super, they're like jam packed in there like sardines, and people are like masturbating freely and like just it's. I've heard it's way worse for dudes. Yeah, the, one of the other ones, I woke up and I was in a room. Um, 
I was in my room and I just woke up. I never, I realized I never saw my roommate when I got in there or I just don't remember it. But all I remember is I woke up in the middle of the night and there was, he had to be 73 years old and he's just butt naked standing (laughs) up in the middle of our room facing me. And I was like, yo dude, like I just banged on the door. I was like, somebody come get this guy or get me the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I've just had, um, yeah, that was the longest one, but normally it was like, you know, like three to seven days or whatever. But yeah, it's like you just have to learn. All those taught me to do was to just uh, learn the answers to the questions they asked to get me oh, the yeah. hell out of there. Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I 100% had to lie. And the, and the funny thing about it is it's really expensive to be there. It's $1,000 a day. So... If you can imagine, when I followed my first grievance asking for a new doctor, one of the techs or counselors or whatever told my old roommate that when I did that, that put a target on my back. And that's why they gave me that particular doctor, because they knew that he would do something like what he did. And I can't imagine anybody who is paying for treatment and not getting a doctor who they would want to work with. If we were on the outside, I still would have switched doctors. I wasn't difficult. It just wasn't a good fit. And that's fine. But it's just like pretty telling of just like not good staff, like not good people. Like I've having like worked in it and been around it so much. I have met some of those people that take it like that. Yes, they're just not good people. Yep. They take it very personally. And it's and they have one therapist for 26 people. And it's like, no wonder they didn't find out until they got there that this was happening. Yeah. You know, and there was nothing that she could do apparently, and it it was it was a it was a cluster, you know. But those places are so expensive, and it gets frustrating because you're having all these things happen to you, and you're still res- they. I mean, they want X amount of dollars. Like when I got the final bill, it was sixteen thousand dollars for nine days. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's you, but I could do a lot with sixteen thousand. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, yeah, it's, oh, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yep. It's stupid. It's stupid expensive. Um, so it's actually is more than a thousand dollars a day. It's almost two grand a day, a little bit mm-hmm. under. And so it's, it's just crazy how that whole medical process works. And then another thing that I kind of thought about, there were two things I thought about after the fact. The first thing was because I signed out AMA, he would not write me a prescription for my drugs. So he wouldn't give me anything to go home with. And I had to figure that out. Yeah. So he was being super spiteful. Wouldn't, wouldn't give me a prescription for my drugs. I did figure it out. Um, if for those of you who maybe don't have a doctor, there is a really great, um, company called plush care and they, it's like a teledoc type of, Oh yeah. Lemonade is another good one. Yeah. And, I, I was able to see a doctor for 19 bucks and he called in all my prescriptions. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Plush care. Plush care. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that was, that was really cool that, that they went ahead and did that. Um, so I did get that taken care of, but one of my drugs, which they don't tell you this when they get you on stuff and it starts to work. One of my drugs for 30 days was $275. Which one was that? Vibrid. Yeah. So because there is no generic for it and it's very new, it's super expensive. And it's like, I wish somebody would have told me that while I was in the I mental know. hospital. 
you know, that's not maintainable. And it's like, you can't afford it. So then like, what happens? You have to come back. You have to go through the same process. Like what is somebody, what is the average person supposed to do who can't afford $275 for one prescription? And that was with insurance. That wasn't even, you know, Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's very laughable. Like it's, it's like, okay, guess I'll just kill myself then. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Too expensive to be alive. Like, and, and that's kind of where, my, my gratitude kicks in. It's like, I'm so thankful that even though my job isn't the dream, it allows me to have insurance. It allows me to have FMLA where I can take care yeah. of myself. Not just when I'm in the hospital, I took off a couple weeks after that to get my life straight. And then even now I'm still in my IOP. So I have an abbreviated schedule and I'm able to go do that for this yeah. week. And then it's also I have insurance to pay for these drugs that I have to take. Yeah. So what did you and I? So we're we're running out of time, but I wanted to see so what did you end up taking and like what um and what do you do now? Sure. I guess a a, a wrap up. That was yeah. The most awkward way to say that. <laughs> no, so no. What 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 then didn't happen now? What now? <laughs> so what's the finale? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So where I landed was I'm on Zoloft. Um, I'm on Abilify, which nice. is a mood stabilizer. Um, mm-hmm. and then I'm on Boost Bar for anxiety. Okay, and those all work beautifully. And yeah. I take a really strong antihistamine for sleep because I was Vist- on trazodone, hydroxyzine, no. or whatever. Uh, yeah, hydroxyzine. Yeah, yeah. I take that. Um, and but all four of those work together beautifully right now um i was actually able to find where vibrid is super cheap for a 90 day supply it's only 216 dollars for 90 days if i get it mailed to me through my insurance so i'm gonna do that um so that's what i do now as far as medications i started my iop which is intensive outpatient the monday after i got out so there was like one day between getting out of lakeside not having treatment and then getting into treatment and so I've been doing that since December the 26th. I think I graduate here soon in like a week or two. Um, and that's been super helpful. It helped me work through a lot of that. I always told people, I was like, I'm going to need treatment for my treatment. <laughs> and that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was very true because some of it was very traumatizing. I had a little bit of PTSD from being on that super psychosis unit. I was waking up at 530 every single day because that's the, that's the time where I heard like some crazy sounds there. And, and so I've really been working through that and also just a lot of guilt that I felt from almost killing myself, which is yeah odd that that happens after the fact. Um, but just been working through that. And I also, um, I go to those recovery meetings on Sundays. There's a trauma resolution group that I start this Thursday. So I'm just, I'm trying to do as much as I can. Cause I know my IOP is going to be over soon. So yeah, you gotta you gotta find a fellowship, which it, it sounds like you have. Yeah, and we'll. I, I know we. Yeah, we have. We might have to do like a, a follow up at some point too. But I'm. That's you're hitting all the important things, which is like <laughs> medication. A lot of people think like, oh, just give me a pill to fix it. It's like that is not enough. That's just gonna right. stabilize you. Then you can do the work. Right. Um, right. Which is awesome. I'm yeah. super glad you're still alive. If no Thank one's you. told you, I'm, I'm sure glad. they have. But I'm glad to be here, and yeah. it feels good to be able to say that. And even like when my IOP ends, I have a therapist, I have a psychiatrist, so I have 
a support um, network, a treatment team, as they call it. So I'm pretty like, I think I'm doing all the right things. I just got to do it and yep. keep doing it. And I'm pretty sure I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, I love you, Tierney. And so if anybody, you know, I'm sure you're available too. But once again, as it always goes, if anybody is like struggling with stuff, reach out to either of us. Yeah. Or anyone. Absolutely. And I'm happy to talk. Um, I don't want my experience to, you know, deter anybody. There are a lot of people there who got the help that they needed. Um, you know, if you are in a position where you think that you are not safe, you have to go somewhere. You just have to decide where it's going to be, whether it's to a friend's house who can keep all eyes on or, you know. That, yeah, cause that's a good point, too, is who, you know, who knows what would have happened if, if that didn't happen. Right. I wouldn't be. You know. I can tell you that without a doubt. I would be dead. Yeah. So in, in, in so much as that, then it was worth it, right? Like yeah. any, any price is worth it to, to just keep you alive. Like right. it's, um, well, awesome. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure. This is the space upon my chest for the Yo